My name is Gabe, um, Associate Pastor of Worship, so typically I get to be involved with the music this morning, but, um, but today instead I get to continue us in our, our series in Acts. So if we jump back into our study, what we've been doing with the book of Acts is we've been looking through the first eight chapters as the church is it's forming, um, coming together, kind of putting down its roots and growing very, very quickly we're drawing out of this attributes of individuals and attributes of a church body that have impact. Impact for the kingdom of God. Impact in the sense that people are coming to believe and trust in Jesus Christ because of what we and what they were doing. So our word of impact today is the word integrity. This is a really, really incredible word. So the word itself, uh, without doing a whole language study, because quite honestly, um, language is not my forte at all, but the word does come from the Latin integer. Now this is where I do get a little more interested, because integer has a math connotation, but essentially what the word means is whole or complete. So as we talk this morning, maybe as a foundational standpoint, as individuals and as a church body, integrity is crucial to us being whole and complete as we work to advance the kingdom of God. So let's dig into this a little bit, this quality of godly character and how it plays out in the life of a believer. But before we do this, I think we need to kind of reestablish the definition of integrity. Because as the world often does, the world takes anything and to as much as it can, removes God from the equation. So when we think of the word integrity, we probably have actually a fairly secular definition in mind. And it simply doesn't cut it in our context. Integrity goes far beyond how the world can define it. I remember coming up through through middle school, I went to a K-12 school in Lisbon, Iowa, graduated with 39 kids. And so I had the distinct privilege of being in the same band room from 5th through 12th grade. And uh, had a phenomenal band director, Mr. DeYoung, and Mr. DeYoung had plastered all over the wall reminders not only about you know music, scales, and, and uh, you know, different things that you'd need as a musician, but also character reminders. He had these posters, and they, one of them was integrity. I still remember it. I was a trombone, so I sat kind of in the back row towards the left, Mr. DeYoung to my right, and integrity was kind of just behind his head and to the left. And integrity was defined this way. Doing the right thing, even when no one is watching. And honestly, I think that's really a pretty great definition. I mean, it gets right to the point of always do what's right, even when no one is watching. I've heard it actually defined in a slightly different way. So here's maybe another version of how the world defines integrity. It's doing the right thing, especially when no one is watching. So it actually puts emphasis on kind of this, in your secret self. Integrity is what you do, especially when no one is watching. And the difference here seems subtle, but it does begin to sound almost, almost biblical. It's kind of along the lines of not letting your left hand know what your right is doing. But it's still not quite right. And here's why. We're actually going to go to Matthew. Um, I'll just put it up on the screen today because most of our text is in, in Acts. But in Matthew, that's where this, this idea of not letting the left know what the right is doing. So I want to uh, read a few verses here. Jesus said, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. 
So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Amen. And the context there is, you know, they're dealing with these, these religious leaders who um, you know, everything is just way overdone. They, 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 truly, they, they are establishing their presence and their prominence um, by, by just being uh, completely outward in the way that they give and the things that they do. And as Jesus says, they will receive their full award. Whatever people choose to think of them, that's precisely what they will receive. Whereas what he's calling out is that in secret, what you do has an implication as far as your reward in heaven. So I'd like to redefine integrity this way. So for today, integrity is going to be honesty with our Father and obedience to the Holy Spirit. We're not secular anymore. Integrity is clearly defined by our relationship with God. And here's why I think this is so important for a believer. It's because you're never alone. There is no secret place. That's kind of a Christianese. There's even songs that use that, that language. In the secret, in the quiet place. Anybody listen to Sonic Flood in like the 90s? Right, this idea of the secret place. But from that verse in Matthew, it says, God sees even what you do in secret. It's almost like a misnomer. There is no secret. Because God is always with us. In fact, that's the point. When we go to the secret place, it implies that we are with God. Now, I understand that that sounds maybe a little bit um, like Big Brother-esque, right? Like God is always watching you. And in fact, there are contexts where that's the way that's taken. Especially with kids as they're brought up, it's do the right thing because God's always watching you. I've spoken to to many um, that are still in the church, have left the church, my generation and others, that that's what they grew up with, this idea that God is always watching you. So therefore, you better do the right thing. Which, as you can imagine, can lead to some some kind of unhealthy views of God. So the way I want to think about that is, is in the correct light of how much of a blessing it is that God truly knows you and is always with you. Let's look at a couple of examples from Psalm 139. We'll put it on the screen for you. Just the beginning of the psalm. It says this, You have searched me, Lord. You know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Or let's go further back and remember the Israelites as they're leading, leaving Egypt. Just a couple verses from Exodus. So Pharaoh has finally succumbed and, and allowed the Israelites to leave. And as they're traveling, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. So just two very simple examples of how God is continually with his people and how important that is, not only to them feeling safe and secure, but especially in Exodus, later, literally that cloud is what saves them. As Pharaoh's army is is attacking, that cloud separates them from Pharaoh's army in a way that they can get to the Red Sea, cross, and then the rest is history. 
So truly, it is a privilege that we are constantly in the presence of the Lord. It's kind of like the footprints in the sand imagery. If you've ever seen that, maybe on someone's wall or possibly, I've seen it a lot of times like on a bathroom counter. I'm not sure why that is. But the footprint in the sand, the idea is the imagery is there's two footprints, two sets of footprints, I should say, and then one set, and and the person whose life this is is reflecting, they've they've come to heaven and they say, Lord, why are there times when there's one set of footprints and and you left me? He says, "Well, well, no, you've missed it. When there's two sets of footprints, we were walking together. When there's one, I, in fact, was carrying you. Right? And, it, and it is a neat image. But it gets to that idea that we, we know how important it is that God is always with us. So it is truly a, ble- a blessing. So when it comes to integrity, the definition of doing what's right, even when no one is watching, makes no sense. Because God is always with us. Always watching. That's why I wanted to redefine that word integrity. Let's go ahead and jump back into Acts. Um, We're in Acts chapter 4. This would be a point if you want to turn there. It'd be be worth your while because we're going to stay in Acts for a little while. It will be on the screen as well. But I actually want to jump back to verse 31, which was a part of last week's message. It says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Now, the reason I wanted to read this is to just recall and get fresh in our brain the power of the Holy Spirit. I hope the worship set this morning prepared you to be thinking of the power of the Holy Spirit. We we literally invited the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning, moving and working, and He is. He is, but it is so important that we not only recognize the Holy Spirit, but believe in His power. So this is one that physically the place was shaken. And this happens multiple times throughout the Bible. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, it was shaken. And then they spoke the word of God boldly, which is precisely what they had prayed for. The Holy Spirit immediately responds to their prayer. So that's maybe a key point for this morning as we continue, that we must be convinced of the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I think that's your first fill in the blank this morning kind of forget what fill in the blanks they gave you, but we must be convinced of the power and authority of the Holy Spirit. So with that in mind, let's get into our text today, starting in Acts 4, verse 32. We'll read these together. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses, they sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone who had need. Now Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So in these verses, we see, again, that power of the Holy Spirit in full display through the unity of the people. This is is incredible. This is thousands of people that are unified in this way that, as needed and as led, folks are are selling their possessions. They're they're selling their land, their homes, bringing it to the money with, with the money to the apostles' feet with no strings attached to simply be used for those in the body that are in need. And then we're given 
The specific example of Joseph or Barnabas, as he becomes better known as, um, and I think I actually asked Pastor Ryan a little bit about this. I was like, you know, why, why does it just in general say that from time to time those that owned land and houses sold them, but then it specifically calls out Barnabas as like a specific example? Well, you know, why him? Um, and, and I think maybe one reason is, is kind of as an as a, um, introduction of sorts of Barnabas. Right, as Luke is writing, uh, Barnabas is going to be spoken of at other places. So there's maybe just, you know, kind of getting his name out there of sorts. But I think it's also helpful in that it makes very clear the work of the Holy Spirit and those that are being obedient, what they are doing. Joseph is a prime example of someone being obedient to what the Spirit has called him to do. Now, unfortunately, as we continue, Ananias and Sapphira are going to have a very opposite story from Barnabas. So let's continue. We'll pick up in Acts 5, verse 1. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, they also sold a piece of property, just like others had before. With his wife's full knowledge, Ananias, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest to put it at the apostles' feet, again, just like everyone else. Then Peter said, Ananias, How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Very different scene. And what's interesting here in chapter 5 is there's disunity. Whereas the Holy Spirit has been working and the body has been unified in, in people giving and selling and, and, and doing what is needed for those that don't have what they need, this is starkly different. So I think there's a couple things that we need to gather here, we need to pull out. And, and the first is this, let's not be deceived and think that this really has anything to do with the amount of money. And, and here's why I say that. Let's think about Peter. Peter's an interesting character study. Peter's at a point where there's no doubt in him anymore. He's on fire. He has seen miracle after miracle after miracle that Jesus did while he was alive. He witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Peter knows that God can do anything with very little. So it really is not about the amount of money. Peter is chastising Ananias not because he didn't give enough, but rather because he didn't do what the Holy Spirit led him to do. He lied to his fellow man and to God. So I think the first thing we can draw is this reinforces the idea that God, our God, is a God of relationship. And here's why I say that. Peter calls out that Satan had filled Ananias' heart By contrast, Peter's heart was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is revealing through Peter that God is a God of relationship. Because, let's think about this, take any relationship that you experience, maybe a marriage relationship, maybe as a a father, as a son, as a friend, as a grandson, any relationship, and think about how important trust is in that relationship. We say this to kids all the time. I say it to my own children all the time that the ability to trust them is absolutely pinnacle. 
It is absolutely pinnacle. Relationship breaks down very quickly when there's lack of trust. And so Peter directly calls out that Ananias, you have lied, not only to men, but to God. What he's, what he's showing us is that the relationship has been damaged. God is a God of relationship. And through a lack of integrity, Ananias has damaged his relationship with his fellow man and with his father in heaven. And then I think another important point to maybe connect to this is that Peter says, how has Satan so filled your heart? There's a clear spiritual warfare aspect here. He says, Satan has actively filled your heart to the point where you have lied and therefore damaged these relationships. So while God is a God of relationship, we need to remember that Satan works to infiltrate our relationships. One way that Satan does this is through attacking our integrity, our honesty, be it with God or with men. So let's continue in the story because it gets gets pretty rough here for Ananias. So we'll pick up in verse 5 of Acts 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Game over. A great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. Now about three hours later, so shortly thereafter, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, said to her, How could you conspire again? How could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are here at the door, and they will carry you out also. Oh, sorry. Let me just keep my feet still. And at that very moment, she too fell down and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And again, great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. So that's, uh, that, that's no joke. That's pretty heavy, right? Within moments of Peter accusing them of lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias drops dead. There's no, we don't know about any previous health conditions or he drops dead. His wife comes in and chooses to continue the lie, even though Peter gives her the out, gives her the opportunity to confess, and she drops dead. This isn't necessarily like a fire and brimstone message, but, but that's the real deal. That, that's not some metaphor. That's not some, like, they dropped dead. So something I'd like to, to focus on here is, again, we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And the Holy Spirit is interesting because, you know, Jesus described the Spirit as a helper, right? He, the, it, was, it was almost like his... I hesitate to say this, but almost like consolation. As he was preparing to ascend back into heaven, he said, but as I leave you, I I give you my helper, the Holy Spirit. And so sometimes we get this kind of like, kind of romanticized, like, oh, the Holy Spirit's like a nice, comfy teddy bear that like Jesus gave me to make me feel better. This Spirit is real, is working, and is powerful. And in this case, because Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, they die. They've not only lied to their Father in heaven, but they've disobeyed the Spirit of the Lord. So, 
let's see maybe how this relates to us. I think as we, as we read this, um, it can be hard to relate to. It can be because, you know, maybe on the one hand, maybe we have no land to sell. Okay, so this story doesn't really relate to me. Or maybe I have land to sell, but, but God has not led me to do that. I, I'm, I'm very, very clear that that's not what God is asking me to do, sell my land. Okay, so again, we don't relate. Or maybe you've never seen someone drop dead as a consequence of disobedience. Yeah, me neither. So I think it's really easy to not relate. But here's how we can relate. Here, here's, I think, the, the big point that we need to take away. We need to, in our thinking, be correct, whereas Ananias and Sapphira were incorrect. And it's this. It's that it is absolutely ludicrous. Fill, fill in the blank. Whatever, I chose ludicrous just because it's, like, it's not a word we use very often, but absolutely ridiculous, crazy, ludicrous to believe that anyone can sin and get away with it. And I put get away with it in quotations because that's not even a real thing. Like, there's no getting away with anything before our Father in Heaven. That's why it's in quotations. It's because it's, it's like, it's not even a thing. It's ludicrous to believe that anyone can sin and get away with it. There's no such thing. But we do this. We do this. We convince ourselves that our private, secret sin is victimless. That no one knows. And then maybe we even have the thought of like, well, I mean, I know God knows, but like, I'm not going to experience any consequences now, right? Like, I'm not going to drop dead like Ananias did. And we get this mindset like we can hide from the very same God that was with the Israelites as a pillar of fire as they're fleeing from Egypt. Like, we can hide from the same God that the psalmist says hems me in before and behind, knows my goings and my comings, knows my every thought, as if we can hide from this God and his never-ending, forever-pursuing love. So that's why I defined integrity with those two parts. It's honesty with our Father in heaven, What's interesting about the honesty piece is God knows, and we know he knows, right? This is well established by now. I may be beating a dead horse there. But the importance of recognizing and choosing not to hide is critical. And I think, again, God, God gives us the ability in our human relationships to understand this a little bit. Think about if someone has wronged you, right? Maybe they've even lied to you. They've done something dishonest. Could be, could be a friend, could be a child, whoever, whoever. There is a significant difference when they come forward and admit rather than get caught. Am I right? And, but why is there a difference? It's the same thing. They've done the same thing. Their heart in whatever they did was the same the moment they did it. Whether they choose to come tell you and admit or not, but there is a difference, isn't there? We know this. We experience this. And I believe the, true, the same is true in our relationship with our Father in Heaven. Even when we do sin, and we know He knows, right? We've established that. There is incredible importance to us confessing and being honest with our Father. And then the definition of integrity is even a little self-satisfying in that as we are obedient to the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit will lead us to do is be honest with our Father. Integrity at work. So as we begin to close, we're, we're, we're getting there. This really, everything so far has just really been looking at Ananias and Sapphira and kind of the tragedy that that is. It honestly reminds me a lot of, um, I spoke on Judas when we were going through the 12 disciples. And a different story, but a similar feel. Just an absolute tragedy, the way that Satan worked in their hearts and the outcome for them. 
So we've, we've focused on that, and we hopefully are kind of learning as a non-example from them. And we've defined integrity, I think, in this way that, that makes sense from a Christian worldview. But let's talk action steps. Answer the real questions. You know, how do I pursue integrity? Right, Gabe, if I'm convinced of how important this is, and I agree with your definition, and I want that fruit in my life, let's think through some tangible daily things that you and I both can do to live in a way of obedience to the Holy Spirit and honesty with our Father in Heaven. So, so here's the first one. I didn't give you fill in the blanks. Hopefully I left you enough room to write. But here, here's the first idea for you. And it starts the same place that the sermon did, is regularly recognize and look for, actively look for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this shows up in the way you view the Lord's leadership over your life. It shows up in the way that you pray, how you talk with other Christians about the Lord and his will. A number of years ago, Francis Chan wrote a book. Well, he wrote Crazy Love, and then kind of a subsequent book. Um, I forget the actual title, but I think it was called The Forgotten God. And essentially what he does in the book is he draws out that, especially in the American church, we've kind of dumbed down or watered down, and in some cases completely ignore the Holy Spirit. And so while we claim to believe in a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what actually gets played out in a lot of American churches is that we talk about the Father and the Son. And we ignore the Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that, and his book goes into that a little more. But, but this is a thing, I think, especially in the American church. But we know the Spirit is alive. We know the Spirit is active and has power and authority. So one action step we can take is in our lives look for and expect to see the Holy Spirit work. You know, I, I have to be careful with side stories because anyone that knows me, I, I can go for a while, but um, <clears throat> had the distinct privilege yesterday morning of um, cutting down a bunch of trees, which is a lot of fun. But my, it was with my father-in-law, which is even more fun. That was actually really great. But he brought this friend of his, and, and I've met this friend a number of times, and he's just, he's just kind of a good old boy from the South. He's He's tatted up, he's got a ponytail, looks a little rough around the edges. Man, has he ever got a story? He has been through some hard, hard stuff. Um, his name is Mark, we'll, we'll say as much. <clears throat> but as we're getting ready just to cut down trees, right? We got skid steers, we got chainsaws, we got trailers, we're ready to cut down trees. And we need to get the work done. We got about four hours to fell nine trees. We got them all done, by the way. But Mark kind of turned around and, and he's kind of, he turns around, he's got tears in his eyes. And he says, brothers, can we just take a moment? I said, sure, you know, what's going on? He said, I, the, the Spirit of God is like, this is just so heavy on my heart. I can't go cut trees until I talk about this. Like, Jesus Louise, like, this is a big, tough dude. Like, what is going on? Spirit of God, we're just cutting down trees. And he, but, but he was, he was, he could not go run his skid steer, start up his chainsaw until he got, like, the Spirit was leading him. He said, my grandson, he's 18, he's got an, he's got a, a colon infection. And it just, I'm just scared to death. He's sick. They don't know what's going on. We're trying to figure out, like, and, and he said, and God's just telling me that i got to put this at his feet. Will you pray with me? Oh, shoot. How do you say no? So we stood there, right, three dudes ready to chop wood, all hold hands, and pray for his grandson, Cade. Pray for the Lord to be with us as we're cutting trees. And I tell you what, like, that experience cutting down trees yesterday was nothing short of spiritual. Nothing short of spiritual. Right? But when we miss these things, they're so easy to miss. 
but we didn't miss it yesterday because Mark took the moment. He, he's, he's a man of God. And he is constantly looking for and listening to the Spirit. And the Spirit led him to Mark, give this to God right now. And he did it. And it changed everything about that experience. That four hours was totally different because he listened. But he listened because he was looking for it. He's listening, and so he heard. And we need to do the same. Sorry, Brent, that wasn't in the notes. I think the, uh, another thing that we can do to, to tangibly try to, to work out this integrity in our lives is reflect on what is filling you. And thus the fruit of your life, because you've probably heard this said by myself, and I know Pastor Ryan as well, probably even Pastor Tom, just about anyone that's spoken has probably said something to the effect of what fills you tends to control you. Ananias was filled by Satan, lied and dropped dead. Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and was able to cut straight through to the lie. So if we allow Satan into our hearts, the outcomes are dire, potentially deadly. (laughs) Excuse me. So I I encourage you to consider what needs to be pruned in your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to bring out those things which are not of God. And obey. Maybe it's a type of music. And some of this stuff is subtle, but man, you'd be, it's sneaky. It's sneaky. The messages that we hear, I mean, it's like, it's like movies that my kids watch. Like these little tiny things that as an adult I see them and I'm like, Okay, that's not quite on in line with what we believe, but, 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 but as my kids continue to see that and hear that and see they become inundated, indoctrinated even. But the same happens to us as adults. We're not immune from this. So maybe it's the music you listen to. Maybe it's the series on Netflix you're watching. Maybe it's a particular habit of mind, just a way you think, maybe a, a way that you deal with conflict, an attitude towards another person. These are all places where Satan gets right in there. I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira had some reason why they thought it was okay to keep back this money. Satan's, he's a crafty little snake, right? And he does the same in our lives. So we need to be in tune to the spirit and looking for what what are those things that I'm I'm giving Satan a foothold? Because if he's got a foothold, he'll continue to climb. But if you take away the foothold, and allow God to fill you with the Holy Spirit, the fruit will be unity, selflessness, integrity. So that's another action step for you this morning. A third one is, is similar, but, but this is specifically for, for married couples. And I'm going to be the first to, to admit, as a relatively young man, um, 10 years into marriage, I, I'm, I'm really being, I'm convicted of this because I'm, I'm seeing this and, I, and I, I'm just, I'm trying to figure it out. And I think a lot of us are probably in the same place. But pursue integrity as a married couple. And I call that out specifically because Ananias and Sapphira are the exact opposite example. They were in it together. It was almost like this Bonnie and Clyde thing, right? Them against the world. They were in it together. In fact, they maybe even felt kind of united and like, but they were, they were in it together in a lie. So I, I, don't, I don't have a lot of tangible here because I'm still working, but I know this is on my heart, is on my mind. How do I pursue integrity together with my wife? So that we can be listening and following the Lord's guidance as a couple and as a family, as well as as individuals. So we, we've got one more action step this morning. I think, I think at this point, um, those that are helping to serve communion this week, if, 
if you fellows would like to come forward and, and kind of get ready, and, and the worship team can come get ready as well. But our final action step today is going to lead us right into this time of communion. So let's begin to prepare our hearts before the Lord. Now, I didn't lie from the beginning when I said, really, my, my main point is just get a good grasp on the definition of integrity. But admittedly, I did save something important for the end. As we reflect on the last, for the last time on the actions in the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, their integrity was broken because Satan had filled their hearts. And specifically, Satan had manipulated them to a point where they not only lied to other people, and they thought they could deceive the Holy Spirit, but they were unconfessional. Sapphira specifically, Peter, Peter, Peter gives her the out. And Ananias had opportunity as well. But they're unconfessional. Both of them had opportunity to confess to Peter and to confess their sin before the Lord. And they didn't do it. So this is our final takeaway this morning, and I want to read from 1 John chapter 1. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. That's, that's precisely what Ananias and Sapphira did. But I think we do it sometimes too. God makes plain through his word that the man who claims to be without sin and does not come before the Lord in a posture of confession has deceived himself. Just like Ananias, just like Sapphira. But our Father in heaven is faithful and just and promises forgiveness for sin and righteousness for those who are in Jesus Christ. So let's let this be our final takeaway and our focus for this time of communion. I ask that you would bring your heart before God in confession. By the leading of the Holy Spirit, pursue integrity and allow our just God to cleanse you, to purify you from all unrighteousness. Don't miss an opportunity to confess. Don't miss an opportunity to come before the Lord and make known your heart. And with that, trust that he is just and he is good. He is loving and he is forgiving. And that in Christ Jesus, you are forgiven.